0: It's time for The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith.
1: And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is The Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here. Today on The Big Program, lots to get to, lots to talk about. A couple of hearings in D.C. on the Senate and the House. Uh, and again, it's just this weird kind of world in which we live in that is, uh, I'll tell you, very, very bizarre. Where facts don't seem to matter to half of the public. Uh, where you lay out in very clear terms uh, exactly what happened, exactly who was involved. And yet they come away with this completely different, uh, and I guess the alternative facts thing is, is strong with the with the right wing crowd, uh, and, and should I be surprised? No, I'm I'm not surprised even a little bit. Uh, to be honest with you, not even a little surprised by it, because it's what we've come to expect. Uh, it really is what we've come to expect from from Trump and the Trump supporters, and ultimately, there's going to have to be a moment where, as society, we collectively come around. Uh, to something because I don't know how you look at the Mueller report and go Trump was completely exonerated when there were in that report at least ten, count them ten. I've you know I've been you know and there are people who've still said there are more. There are at least ten cases uh, of of obstruction and and things that he could have been impeached over. And yet, uh, you listen to any any of the Trumpkins and they're going to tell you that well there's no, 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 nothing there. It was all witch hunt hooks. And and we're in this bizarre moment because you know I, I maybe it's just because I have a memory. Uh, there was a moment where we were concerned about the Russians. <laughs> uh, there was a moment where we weren't al- evidently allies without us actually knowing we're allies. Uh, and and again, this is what propaganda does so well. It gets it, it gets it, and and look, the Russians do it better than anybody, uh, and we know this. And and I guess a part of me it says it shows how. How little critical thinking skills we have left. When you can look at that report that Mueller laid out in very, very stark terms what the campaign did, what the transition people did, what all of the contacts that were there. And and unprecedented numbers of contacts. Uh, never in our history uh, have we seen something like this. But there's a segment of the population that goes, Oh no, it's our guy, I don't care. Without even asking the question, well, what if it were the other side? I mean, if Hillary Clinton had had these kind of contacts, which they make up, by the way, this is the weird thing that you know they're, they're claiming that no, no, it was it was really just Hillary. It, it wasn't it wasn't Donald Trump. It was it was Hillary who did all these horrible things. It's quite remarkable, <laughs> uh, quite amazing, but again, not really all that surprising. Uh, because we get that a lot from them, don't we? Uh, the butt Hillaries or the butt Obamas. I don't really care about Hillary or Obama at this moment. I care about this guy, and I care about the next person. Because if we allow this guy to get away with this this kind of blatant criminal activity, what happens when we get somebody who's actually smart? What if we get someone who actually knows what they're doing? could be a democrat could be a republican could be who knows and i asked my conservative friends you know let's say you know the next president is a democrat and is just as conniving and cheating and 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 thieving as this president will you be okay with that because right now you're saying it's okay right now you're saying it's okay to strong arm foreign leaders it's okay to have all of these contacts with with very shady characters it's okay you know, Lizzie Graham was going on about the IG report, which by the way, the IG report is is pretty clear. Pretty clear in that yes, hello, there was cause. Yes, there was a reason. Yes, it was it was there. And we had a right to do it. Yes. There was a reason. And yet, what we hear from, from Bill Barr? What we hear from the Republicans today? We heard that, well, they were just targeting Trump. It's unprecedented. And the attack line from Republicans today was, uh, it could happen to you. If, if we allow the FBI to do this stuff. And look, I hate defending the FBI. More than you know. But mistakes happen in everything. And you hold people accountable for those mistakes. And, and we have to do that. But to say that all of it is, is ridiculous and all of it is is, wrong, is exonerates Trump is, is literally insane. Because what this IG report says is, yes, there was a reason. No, there was no political bias. So the narrative that the right has spun... Is that and and this is this is this is really beautiful? Uh, they've they've got it in their heads and they're you know they're spreading it to their minions that you know. To be honest, uh, Obama was this evil dictator, which they already believed, who used the power of of the state, used the power of the FBI, the power of our investig- investigative investigative uh, arms. To target Donald Trump solely alone, they were trying to influence the election, and it was one of these weird moments because you know I saw the you know part of the interview that Billy Barr did, that you know again you know he's 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 a master manipulator, but I saw part of the the interview where he's he's going on about um. How this isn't normal. He's going on about there are all these irregularities and and it, it's just this this weird kind of, of justification and and it's it's remember this guy is supposed to be the top cop. This guy is supposed to be uh, the person who is. Making sure that law and order is is upheld, and you know he's he's attacking the FBI and totally exonerating Trump for for all of the the numerous crimes. I mean, it's really quite amazing, but sadly not surprising. Uh, what did we find out from the IG's report? We found out that the FBI showed no. Political bias. There was no evidence of it. And in fact, what they did find out is if there was political bias, it was against Hillary Clinton. Uh, the Comey thing, you know, coming out with the, the statement about the emails two weeks before the election. And then, you know, we're led to believe that the, the, the couple having the affair, uh, Paige and Stroik, uh, they, were, they were the only ones texting each other. Anti-Trump's are Texting each other all this anti-Trump stuff, without actually looking into the hundreds of other cases of FBI agents texting anti-Hillary stuff. And this is this is how these narratives are always framed. It's 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 quite amazing that you know they they pile up everything's everything's pointed at Donald Trump, and Trump does this better than anyone. Uh, he plays the victim card. Republicans have always played the victim card much better. Uh, they're, they're they're good at it. Uh, but they're also much more conniving, because they're generally the ones who are, are are the are the bullies and the ones who are victimizing people. So you know they've already got it in their head how this stuff works. Uh, so they're of the mindset. Well, they're all all of them. The the, enti- the establishment was against him, uh, which this report did not find. Uh, none whatsoever. Uh, the idea that Obama was somehow you know pulling the strings behind the. Uh, The scenes and in focusing the FBI, they found that was not true either. But you're not going to hear that anywhere else. Uh, They also found no evidence of any intentional misconduct going after Carter Page. Because guess what? Carter Page had tons of contacts in Russia. I mean, it, it is what it is. And you would be remiss to not investigate all of these things. You know I've been saying for a while there there are well over a hundred and twenty cases of of documented contacts with with Trump campaign people and Russian assets. Uh, I'm actually wrong on that. It was actually the, what I've just found out is they've documented now two hundred and seventy two cases so it's even worse than and I was saying it's bad it's even worse than than what I've been saying and yet we don't really get it. In fact, you know, the other one I love, and I I got hit with this the other day, um, that, well, you know, uh, Obama planted spies. The FBI planted spies. Obama's FBI planted spies uh, inside the Trump campaign. They didn't. (laughs) And the report is pretty clear on that. Uh, the report is also very clear that it wasn't the ukrainians who who were in, involved in in uh, meddling in our elections it was the russians and there you know again this is one of those moments there there are some simple facts that are really hard and and i know it's really hard for republicans to accept their own reports because i'm not a huge fan of horowitz either but in looking at this report, he, he stayed down the middle of the road, much like the Mueller report. And for all the people who say, oh, there was just 13 angry Democrats, Mueller was never a Democrat. But again, facts never seem to really matter in right wing circles. When it doesn't play to your narrative properly. You have to lie and contort and twist. And no one does this better than than the right. And it's quite amazing to me. You know, in the old days, for for conspiracy theories to actually hold water, there had to be a kernel of truth. And there had to be, you know, some believability. It doesn't even seem like the right wing is trying to have anything near a kernel of truth. They're just pulling you know what out of you know where. But I guess that doesn't matter to the base, because I watched the uh I, I watched some of the the rally from Hershey yesterday, and I'll tell you it. Whenever I see these these rallies, because I'm not a rah-rah person, you'll you'll rarely see me. You know, you know, even you know, participate. I'm usually I'm a watcher. I will usually stand and watch. I don't get riled up. I don't get you know all that excited. But to watch these people who were just in en, enraged. And and totally in defense, without any ability to question, this administration or that president is is really scary to me. In fact, CBS did a clip of of a bunch of people that they that they interviewed. And look, I know you you generally pick out the craziest that you can to get what you need to get people's attention. I get that, but there were so freaking many. The one guy saying, "Well, you know, I don't have a problem with. It. Neither does my three fifty seven Magnum." You know, right to the gun. And the first thing I saw when I saw, thought when I saw that is here's the guy, you know, hello, somebody, time to grab somebody's gun. Clearly not somebody who should be armed. And the anger and the vitriol, and it, it's almost like they want violent confrontation, that they've been told for so long that they're the victim. That they've been told for so long that they're the ones who have been on the losing end of things. And now they've got a guy who's throwing them the red meat of who it is. It's the others. It's all of them. You know, pick your, your subcategory. Uh, the immigrants, the gays, and the transgenders. You know, pick, pick, your, pick your poison. And their rage and their anger. Because look, they have been screwed over the last 40 years. The American dream is dying. But it's not because of people being able to love who they choose to love or being able to live the life that they choose. No. It's because we've had corporate power dominating not just our politics, but our, 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 our economy for way too long. But you can't get them to say that because that takes a bit of thought. It's just easier to be, have that knee-jerk knee reaction. It's, ah, it's them. They're the reason I'm not successful. They're the reason I'm not doing well. We live in most scary, most certain scary times. Oh, and, and look, our media structure is, you know, conservatively controlled. The moneyed interests of this country have a vested interest in keeping us pitted against one another. And they're doing a masterful job of it. The question is, how do we come back together and have have sane, rational conversations and maybe come to some actual solutions? Because guess what? Over the last almost three years, we've done nothing to move the country forward. All we've done, honestly, is make our debt and our deficit much worse, dig us into a deeper hole, so that when the next recession hits—and one is coming—we won't be able to respond. And the wealth class, they're just a-okay with that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can email me, Rick, at thericksmithshow.com. Gonna take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Will Bunch, columnist with the Philly Inquirer, is gonna be here to share some thoughts on the uh, the Clint Eastwood movie, uh, Richard Jewell. And also the state of our media and a big announcement out of the Philly Inquirer today, too. As well. Quick break, right back. There's nothing more
0: American than workers standing up, and the union gives a voice to win. On the Rick Smith Show.
1: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1918. That was the day streetcar workers in Kansas City walked off the job. It was the third strike since August, 1917. Workers had previously struck for union recognition and joined the city general strike that spring. By summer, the city was so desperate for wartime labor, the transit company began hiring women. Though women faced initial opposition, by fall, the union demanded they receive equal pay for equal work. The company had been paying them $15 less a month than their male coworkers. The amalgamated filed charges with the National War Labor Board demanding a general wage increase and equal wages for women. The board quickly ruled in the union's favor, but Kansas City Railway refused to abide by the decision. And on this day, 2,675 men and 127 women walked off the job demanding the company honor the board's ruling. Instead, the company hired scabs. In the rush to restore service, the company failed to properly train the scab drivers, and a number of streetcar crashes reduced the transit company's fleet by more than 300 cars. According to Maureen Wiener-Greenwald, author of Women, War, and Work, the company alleged in the press that the strike was an attack against the entire community. On the Missouri side, state militia guarded the strikebreakers, while U.S. Marshals guarded rail tracks on the Kansas side. By April 1919, a federal grand jury indicted union leaders for obstructing a vital industry during wartime, even though the war had been over for six months. By May, the strike was lost and the union busted. It would take another 20 years before Kansas City Transit would finally be organized. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
0: Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith.
1: So the big the big moment uh, yesterday at the Hershey rally, uh, evidently a woman in a Me Too hat uh, who had a sign. How dare she have a sign uh, that says grabbing back power. Uh, the clip was very scary. Uh, of really the entire crowd turning on this woman, and I thought for sure you know there you know, there was going to be some knucklehead who was going to smack her or do something, uh, but Trump went on this this you know get her out, get her out, and then he mocks the security guard for not beating her up. I mean this is where we are as a country. This is how the security the security people were like, hey come on we, we've got you've got to leave, and they you know they were they were escorting her out uh trump seriously wanted this you know this guard to to grab her by the hair and drag her out i believe uh he said see these guys want to do so politically re- correct you see that i'll tell you law enforcement so great trump said that particular guy he wanted to be so politically correct he said i don't know who he was he didn't do the greatest job and and look you know protest <laughs> Uh, is one of the things that this country was founded on. Scary, scary stuff. Anyway, here to share some thoughts, not just on the state of how insane our media culture is and how insane these rallies are, uh, but also, you know, our motion pictures. You know, I saw this the, the ad for this Richard Jewell movie and immediately thought, wow, Clint Eastwood's gone completely off the deep end and here's some share some thoughts on his latest column i've asked will bunch to come talk with us will is a national columnist for the philadelphia daily and in- the inquirer uh, also a fantastic author the author of the burn identity and tear down this myth will thanks for taking time for us hey rick thanks for having me on i appreciate it so uh you saw the richard jewell movie huh
2: i did i went to a screening last night it, it opened nationally on friday but uh, they did have a screening in philadelphia that I was able to attend. And, um, it's, it's, it's a shame because I'm mean, you probably could have done an okay movie about the Richard Jewell story. I mean, um, I mean, just for your listeners real quickly, uh, uh, some of whom, I don't know, maybe weren't even born in 1996, but, um, uh, uh during the summer Olympics in Atlanta in 1996, there was a, uh, um, a backpack bomb left at a park near the Olympics in Atlanta, uh, where a big party was, Taking place, and uh, um, luckily this security guard, Richard Jewel, saw the backpack, uh, helped get most of the people out of the way. It still, the bomb still killed two people and injured a hundred people. It could have been a lot worse. Um, but um, Jewel, and I mean, and, and, and in fairness, to the FBI, which is a phrase I don't use very often, but I mean, I mean, Jewel did kind of fit the uh, profile of somebody who might have planted the bomb to make himself look like a hero. It was definitely something they should have investigated. Um, uh, However, a terrible thing happened, which is uh, before they had not nearly enough information, they leaked his name to the media. It was published in the Atlanta newspapers, picked up by the national media, you know, big scrum reporters outside his house. uh, And he didn't do it. And in fact, (laughs) there's kind of a funny uh, footnote to all this, I'll get to in a minute. But, um, I mean, the bomb was actually planted by a right-wing extremist of of the kind we see even more prevalent these days, a a guy named uh, uh, Eric Rudolph, uh, who was an anti-abortion right-wing fanatic. Um, uh, uh, And Richard Jewell's ultimately cleared. Um, uh, I wanted to see the movie because I'd read so many reports that there were problems with the movie, and and one huge problem in particular, which is how... um, the female reporter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution who broke the story, Kathy Scruggs, who's played by the actress Olivia Wilde in the movie, uh, problems with how she's portrayed. And one particularly disturbing scene is, and, and the movie really hangs a lot on this one detail, uh, it basically doesn't show but, but 100% insinuates that she got the story by trading sex with an FBI, the FBI agent on the case. And the thing is, that never happened. I mean, no, there's, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, this case has been investigated by journalists. It was the subject of a massive lawsuit. No one's ever even made this allegation before. It was just, like, stuck in the movie. I mean, it, it, it's this horrible sexist trope that, unfortunately, has been in, like, five or six movies, at least, if not more, that, you know, women reporters only get stories by using sex. You right. know, it was, it was it was in House of Cards and... on on, on Netflix. But you didn't need the
1: gratuitous sex scene, so you had to add it somewhere, right?
2: Well, they didn't, I mean, I mean, there wasn't even a sex scene. It was weird. I mean, they didn't use it to to depict sex. I mean, uh, she says, uh, uh, I mean, she is very seductive to the agent in the bar. She's rubbing his thigh, you know, right up in his face and, and obviously being a seductress, right? And, um, and, uh, so he gives her the name that they're investigating Richard Jewel and uh, then she says, you know, uh something along the lines of should we go to a motel or should we just go back to my car, basically? And then and then the scene fades away. But you know, and and later on in the movie when they interact again there again it's implied that something happened between the two of them. So uh, you know, maybe that's and oh and, and the thing to note, I mean it's really weird. I mean, the FBI agent is played by John Hamm. is is not a real person. You know, he's a composite of whoever the real agents were who worked on the case. Uh, just just kind of a made up FBI agent character. Right. Uh, whereas the journalist uh, Kathy Scruggs was a real person. was there, was the actual reporter who covered uh, the story. And and the character is clearly based on Kathy Scruggs. Um, and she... Um, <laughs> Uh, she unfortunately died at a very young age, Kathy Scruggs. She died in 2001. I think she was 42 years old, and wow. uh, so she cannot defend herself against these allegations. No, I mean, maybe it's I you know it, having
1: sex with FBI agents. Yeah, I mean, and or also, not those are right in
2: the column. I mean, she's just like this kind of over the top, you know. Uh, I'm think of a proper word to use. I mean, she's just a very unlikable character in the movie. I mean, everything—you know—she insults other reporters, and you know, she's only doing—you know—when the, when the bomb goes off, you know, oh God, I hope I hope the killer is somebody interesting. You know, I mean, she's just a very shallow, detestable um, character, and you know, I mean, and this kind of accomplishes their goal that uh, you know the media in this, in this movie are enemies of the people. And then at a time when we're talking about fake news, this movie is, is intended to, you know, in the, in the kind of prop style, it's intended to make you furious at the media because, Oh my God, you know, they framed this, this nice guy, Richard Jewell, and they use fake news, fake news to do it. But the actual fake news is what the movie and Clint Eastwood say about the journalists. That's the yeah. real fake news in the movie. I mean, it's, it's really it it's, it's, it's mind boggling really yeah i saw and, the
1: uh, I saw the trailer for it, and i'm I'm going I, I have absolutely no interest in seeing it whatsoever uh because I don't know what's interesting about it at this moment, other than as you've pointed out, it seems like propaganda to to get people to be even more angry at the media than and I don't know if that, that's possible on the right if you can get any more angry uh but you know it just seemed like you know why this it doesn't even seem like that interesting of a story because at the end, who's the hero?
2: Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you you can read my column. I talk a little bit more about the movie in general. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lawyer who's kind of a libertarian who comes to Richard Jewell's aid and he's a nice guy and, you know, Richard Jewell and his lawyer are the nice guys and, um, you know, the FBI agent and the journalist. And, And also, as I noted in my review, there's even a, um, college, college president. And I mean, these, these are all the, the best noirs of the political right, right? I mean, uh, journalists and FBI agents and 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 college presidents. This guy wearing a bow tie. It's you know, it's all the it's all the people that Republicans uh, hate. You know, are <laughs> uh, are, are lampoon in this movie. And
1: uh, not only um, Republicans, but dogs too.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, what, Rick?
1: <laughs> I said not only Republicans, but dogs too. You got your dog barking over it.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah. My dog, my dog got mad at the once, uh, <laughs> just thinking about just thinking about it. Right. So, well, <laughs> speaking of barking dogs, I mean, I mean, that's the funny thing is when you said, you know, these people probably couldn't get any matter at the media. That's probably true. But, you know, I mean, this, this is President Trump's reelection strategy. Right. Right. Is, uh, you know, he he's got to keep up that uh, level of resentment, uh, which is really what drives the Republican Party. Uh, you know, he's got he's got to keep that going. And and look, I I don't think I mean this movie, you know, was in development for five years. It wasn't the, the entire thing isn't an ad for Donald Trump, or it's not what you know the whole thing's not a scheme to elect Trump. But um, I mean, the project didn't get turned over to Clint Eastwood until this year, and and clearly under his direction, you know, this is this is the tone it took. And whether it was intentional or unintentional, I mean, you can you can really just see this as a kind of a giant propaganda film for the themes that animate the conservative movement in this country today. And uh, if you don't want to support that movement, you shouldn't support the movie. I mean, in my column, I make the argument that uh, you know there's a lot of good journalism out there. I mean, I'll give you an amazing example this week was that story in the Washington Post about the war in Afghanistan, right? I mean, the Post spent three years uh, fighting the government tooth and nail to get these records that showed that we basically wasted one trillion dollars on all these lives over in Afghanistan, and you know, people, you know, that kind of that kind of journalism takes money and it takes support. You know, and people should support that. They should support their local newspapers, which are struggling, and uh, it's a much better thing to support than spending twenty or thirty or forty bucks to see this movie.
1: Now, to see a bad movie, is it worth? Is it worth even watching if it's on TV?
2: <laughs> uh you, you mean you mean for free when you're not giving yeah, money yeah. well you're play?
1: still paying for cable but is is it worth watching if it's you know like at three o'clock well, in the morning yeah, on yeah.
2: i mean i mean that's that's a good question i mean i mean the point in my review i mean i think i think over the years i think Clint eastwood has been a brilliant filmmaker you know if you see movies like mystic river or the or the unforgiven going back i mean uh you know he, he's very good at the craft of movie making um I mean, his politics are kind of off the wall. I mean, we we all remember that the,
1: the talking chair, chair yeah.
2: the empty chair with that uh, was supposed to represent Barack Obama, you know, and and you know, and, and he he's always he's he's always portrayed himself as a libertarian and somebody who's not a right winger on some issues, and and maybe on some issues that's true, but I mean, I mean, the fact that Barack Obama's president drove him so crazy, I mean, I think that tells you something about his personality.
1: Yeah, good but, point. Uh, uh, and you're right, I mean, you know, independent media needs needs funding. Uh, we do need to have local newspapers and investigative journalism, uh, like never before, because I mean... Uh, you you look at what's going on right now. I mean, you look at this IG report, and I didn't want to get too far into this, but yeah, uh, you know, the fact that you've got, you know, the Lindsey Graham's and the Bill Barrs coming out basically saying, you know, Trump's completely exonerated. It's all the FBI, you know, who were, you were know, basically, you know, it was a coup attempt, you know, to overthrow an election, and it was, you know, Obama who directed the FBI, even though the report doesn't say anything even close to the fact in fact it says just the opposite. Right. I mean I mean I mean, that's why I feel like this is just such a dangerous time
2: that we're in, because, uh, you know, it's it's one thing to have sharp disagreements over the direction of the, of the country or, you know, whether we should have higher taxes or lower taxes. I mean, I mean, that's what politics is all about. Right. But, you know, but when you have one party that's just devoted towards uh, not even pretending that actual undisputable facts are real, Um then how can you even have a basis for conversation i mean you know i mean it's kind of funny i I think i think people i think people on the left and people who uh you know were were terrified at the prospect of of a trump presidency from day one uh you know people people looked forward to the to the the day when trump was finally impeached And, and and don't get me wrong i think people still do and i think there's I, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, Rick, but I, I feel the mood out there, is, the mood everywhere, is, is is kind of weird right now. In that, on one sense, there's some some certainly gratification, or if not exhilaration, that exhilaration that you know Trump is finally paying some kind of price for you know the high crimes and misdemeanors he's been committing these three years. So that's good. But on the other hand, I think the way this is unfolded and the fact that you know, not not only is the Republican Party been difficult to deal with, but the fact that they've just been, you know, shown pieces of paper that say black and they come out and say white, you know, I mean, that, they, that they're just willing to take something like that, that IG report that you mentioned, and just start talking about it as if it, 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 it says the exact opposite of what it actually says. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, that is just it's troubling. It's, it's dispiriting. It's 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 also exhausting, right? To have to hear this day after day, you know. I mean, I mean these impeachment hearings. I mean that are going on right now as we speak. You know, I mean, I mean they're necessary in, in the way the procedure they have to go through to get to the impeachment of the president. And, I mean it's necessary to have these hearings and to give Congress people a chance to make their case for or against his impeachment. But you know, I think I think the process kind of wears people out, especially
1: especially at the holidays.
2: Yeah, especially when 50% of these hearings are are Republicans spouting nonsense, right? You know. Um.
1: No, I think a perfect example of that you know, Bill Barr did an interview. Um, uh, I forget who it was. I forget the guy's name already. Um, but he said he said the the greatest danger to our our free system um, is is a president using the powers of the state to affect the outcome of an election. Right. and and i agree with that i agree that that is a great danger to our, our our system yet you have a president who is being impeached for doing just that and yet the it seems that you know that just kind of loses well a thought
2: yeah i mean i mean certainly i mean those of us i mean i, I was a You know, I I was a precocious teenager who was very obsessed with Watergate when it was taking place in in the early 70s and uh, followed it very closely. And, you know, I mean, the the parallels between what happened then and what happened with Trump, both both with Russia and with Ukraine, both both of these scandals is so similar, you know, in terms of, you know, stealing, stealing information from the uh, from the other party, the Democratic Party, just once it was done the old fashioned way with burglary. Now we, now we do it electronically, but you know, it was really the same thing. And, and the idea, you know, um, um, you know, President Nixon was very concerned about manipulating the 1972 presidential election. He wanted to make sure that the Democrats picked who he thought was the weakest candidate who, you know, for better or worse was George McGovern. Uh, and so they played dirty tricks, you know, they, you know, they sent people out on the trail and, and, uh, you know, they they had this team of plumbers that did break-ins and other kinds of black bag jobs, and uh, and and now and now again, you have a president who's doing doing the same thing, who's trying to engineer, you know, what's said about his democratic opponent or you know, trying to trying to use stolen information to denigrate his opponents. It's really the same
3: thing, no. and
2: uh, you know, so again, you know, these Republicans pretend. Uh, that it's completely different, uh, and, and let's not forget. I mean, oh, it's impossible to forget that so many of these, so many of these Republicans, like Lindsey Graham, for example, are the exact same people who thought that thought that Bill Clinton should be impeached for telling you know one lie in a civil lawsuit that had nothing to do with uh, his presidential duties. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just no. Again, we're talking about a lack of truth, but also just a lack of, you know, objective reasoning. Yeah. I mean, there's no, just you're no, right. There's, just, there's no way. There's no way in any sense that you can defend voting to impeach or voting to remove Bill Clinton, and and then say that well, in the Trump case, there's there's nothing there. I mean, there's just there's just no way you can rationalize that. I mean, look, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you can have a debate over over the facts of what Trump did and does this rise to the level of impeachment or should it be dealt with differently should it be you know censored or you know should we keep investigating or whatever but we're not at that point we're at this point where one side is just pretending that it never even happened I mean that's just, that's just that's where we're at and it's just unbelievable and, and it's and it's dispiriting and and it's why it's why so many people I talk to feel like this is a dangerous time for American democracy unlike Anything they've seen before, or anything I've seen before, and, and you know we're talking about people old enough that they've lived through Watergate and Vietnam and Civil Rights and and uh, you know 9/11 and and uh, you know in our in our lifetime we haven't seen anything like this.
1: No, we are we are most certainly in in a scary moment, uh, which is why I thought it was it was great that your newspaper the uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer the, the editorial board uh, I guess today is it today they they endorsed impeachment.
2: Yeah, tonight. Uh, I think it was just published at like six o'clock tonight. So uh, yeah, go to uh, go to our website, inquirer.com, uh, because uh, uh, we, we we weren't the first. I, I I wish we had been. It would have been it would have been neat if we'd been the first. Um, uh, a few other large newspapers now, the Boston Globe. Um, well, the Bo- it, it's kind of. I mean, there's kind of different gradations, right? I mean, the, the Boston Globe and the L.A. Times. Wrote very forceful editorials calling for Trump's impeachment, and I, I think, I think in both cases actually calling for his removal, which is also what we called for. for his removal. But we called for impeachment and for removal.
1: Basically.
2: Right. So, uh you know, the Washington Post today had a, had an editorial that supported impeachment. I, I, I thought it was. I thought it could have been. <laughs> frankly, I thought it could have been a little bit stronger. I mean, it just kind of laid out the facts and said these are the facts, you know, knowing these facts, having me not impeach You know, it didn't really make much of an argument beyond that. But um, uh, how much know, more of an argument
1: lot- do you need, Will? I mean, these are the facts. This is <laughs> this is what happened. Do you need more than that? Do we need a song and a dance? Do we need you know, what? I don't, I don't know. I mean,
2: you know, I mean, you know, there, 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 there's not a lot of drama in this story. You know, And I'm a little surprised. I, if you'd asked me like six months ago, I would have thought, that there were a handful of Republicans, for example, in the House. And, and uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not counting Justin Amash, who you know, went and left the entire party and became an independent. But, you know, uh, people like um, one of our local congresspeople here in the Philadelphia suburb is Brian Fitzpatrick from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. is a very, very moderate um, uh, Republican who, who I give credit for breaking with Trump on, on a number of issues during, during these three years. And, um, nope, he's not supporting the impeachment, you know, uh, n- none of them are, I-, I would have thought, I would have thought anywhere from five to 20 Republicans might have said, you know, book, well, it pains me to do this, but what, you know, our president, what our president did with Ukraine or what it was wrong. And, you know, I'm going to have to vote for this and the voters are just going to have to no. understand, no. but, uh, no, but no, not a single one. And, you know, people say, well. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this, too, you know, people saying, oh, oh there, there are definitely, you know, I think Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, said, you know, he knows some Republican senators who would support impeachment, which, which is sure. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure like Mitt Romney, you know, for example, would probably love to vote for President Trump's removal, but would he have the courage to do it? I, I just can't, I just don't see it at this point. I mean, I think, I think it's impeachment. Doesn't get a single Republican vote in the House, which clearly it's not going to, and it's not going to get, then it's not going to get a single Republican vote re- re- removal, I should say, It's not going to get a single Republican vote in the Senate.
1: No, and that's what I've predicted all along. I mean, because we are that polarized of a country. Well, I mean, uh,
2: it, it just is what it is. <laughs> we, I mean, have, we have we have, and, two, we have we have two Democrats, uh, including uh, another one is from our area, Jeff Jeff Andrew from New Jersey, who are actually going to vote Democrats who are going to vote against impeachment. So. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, I mean, it, it's kind of awful because, you know, it does, you know, it's, it's the Republicans, because of these two two guys, you know, one of them is in a is in a, like, Trump plus 30 district in Minnesota, Colin Peterson, but, uh, uh, you know, they're going around saying, well, there's, there's bipartisan opposition to impeachment, but there's no, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, these circular arguments, you know, the fact, you know, saying that the Founding Fathers never would supported didn't support a partisan impeachment. Well, first of all, they didn't have political parties in 1787 and they didn't think there were going to be any. I mean they were wrong obviously, but uh, so of course, they didn't talk about the possibility of partisan impeachment when they didn't have political parties and, and hoped that there weren't going to be any. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean I mean all we're seeing here is that if one political party has completely lost its mind, they can get away with all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean that's what we're really seeing.
1: No, and that's what we're seeing. And you know, look, you, I don't know if you saw the rally from Hershey yesterday, uh, but there are a lot of people who lost their mind.
2: But no, I oh, I mean, wait, was the one in the one in Hershey or yeah,
1: the one at the Giant Center in Hershey. They a lot of people who you you watch the I watched it and I was just you know I wasn't sure you know which decade we were in. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've been, I've actually covered a Trump rally in that arena. Uh, he, he actually had one there, oddly enough, in December of 2016. So when he was, after he'd won the election, but he was president-elect, he hadn't taken the office yet, but he, he was bored and needed something to do, so he kept having these rallies even after he'd won the election. It was kind of crazy. So so uh, uh, I, I went to one out there, and, and uh, I, I kind of, you know, I, I was I was actually watching, getting back to the start of our conversation, I was actually watching Mr. Jewell Uh, at the screening was the same time as the rally, but I I kind of almost wish I had gone just because just to get a sense of have things actually gotten crazier in 2019 than they were in
1: 2016,
2: and uh, I mean, from the news accounts I've seen, it looks like the answer is yes.
1: Yes. The answer is most certainly yes. Uh, Scary scary times we live in, but uh, Will, I appreciate the work that you do. Great piece on Richard Jewell. I hope people take a look at it and not waste their money. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and great job by your editorial board uh, as well. Always, As always, great talking with you, man.
2: Yeah, yeah, same here, Rick. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks for, calling, Jeff, for checking in with me. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, one of my Will's one of my favorite columnists. Make sure you check out his work uh, over at the Philly Daily News. Uh, we'll get links out of how you can check out the story. Uh, make sure you also check out his books, uh, The Author of the Burn Identity and Tear Down This Myth. Quick break. Right back. Stick around and listen to The Rick Smith Show.
0: Remembering that united we bargain, divided we beg. Rick Smith.
1: I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2012. That was the day that Michigan Governor Rick Snyder signed right-to-work legislation into law. The birthplace of the United Auto Workers Union had just become the 24th state to pass legislation that guaranteed the open shop and the prohibition of mandatory dues collection. More than 10,000 trade unionists gathered in Lansing that day to express their outrage. The only source of income that unions have is their dues base. Without it, unions can't adequately represent their members. Work of unions isn't just about effectively negotiating a contract. It also includes fighting contract violations, excessive discipline and wrongful discharges, and enforcing safety and good working conditions on the job. All of this suffers under right to work. But this is nothing new. Right to work laws have their roots in fighting the Wagner Act, and the CIO organizing drives throughout the South in the 1940s. The Texas billionaire and lobbyist Vance Muse fought hard against child labor laws, the eight-hour day, and even the right for striking workers to picket. Pro-segregationist Democrats, cotton brokers, Fred Koch, the DuPont brothers, Gerald Sloan of General Motors, and others supported him in his efforts. His organization, the Christian American Association, was closely aligned with the Ku Klux Klan. Muse argued that segregation could only be maintained by enforcing the open shop. Otherwise, whites would be forced to interact with blacks. He said, quote, From now on, white women and white men will be forced into organizations with black African apes, whom they will have to call brothers or lose their jobs. The wealth class has spent millions of dollars over 60 years to defeat working people and reverse hard fought gains. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
0: Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith.
1: So the Economic Policy Institute has a new report out, and again, it's not one of these these shocking reports. Uh, no, 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 real surprise uh, when you look at the uh, this latest latest uh, bit of information. Uh, understand what we usually hear from the right wing on on unions is that uh, they're out of date, uh, something we needed a hundred years ago. Uh, you know, people don't want them anymore. Uh, the market. Has decided. I've heard that nonsense way too long, and and I always respond with, no, that's not actually true. Because if you had a true market where workers could choose to join and form unions or not choose, uh, if you had a true true market, you would have people who would be able to freely join, uh, which you don't have now. Uh, you not you, but you do have people who have the ability to freely not join. So it's a one-way street in this quote-unquote free market. Now, you know when I was in economics class, they were very, very clear. Um, you know, a free market only works is if you have the choice to participate or not. You have the choice to to buy or to participate or you know, sell or whatever, uh, or not. If you you can't abstain from say working, uh, it's not truly a free market. So that that argument's kind of. Kind of ludicrous, uh, but what the EPA found, uh, EPI found out uh, the Eco- Economic Policy Institute uh, that em- U.S. employers uh, during union election campaigns uh, over forty-one percent of them uh, violate federal labor laws, which is is really kind of shocking, and and it goes back to the things I've said numerous times in the past, which is are uh, the penalties for violating the law aren't there currently if you illegally fire someone. Let's say that, you know, we're organizing, you know, XYZ Corporation and the CEO fires, you know, five people. And it sends a chilling effect across the entire workforce and they vote the union down, uh, which happens more often than not. Those five people go through the process. They get their jobs back a year down the road. Now they've all gone out and got other jobs because they got kids to feed, they've got mortgages to pay, they got bills to pay. You know, they they got they got life to 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 deal with. The current penalty is uh, the employer would have to pay back wages minus any money that these folks earned in other employment. So let's say I lose a job making ten dollars an hour and I go and I find a job making nine bucks an hour, they're gonna have to pay me a buck an hour not much of a penalty most of the time people go find jobs making kind of the same amount of money so there's there's no economic downside to firing a couple of people especially you know a couple people are troublemakers you want to get rid of anyway because you know they keep talking that union stuff so there's no consequence the upside There's no consequence. The upside is we keep the union out. We don't have to pay the higher wages. We don't have to give the better health care benefits, the better pension benefits. We don't have to create safe workplaces. We don't have to listen to those whiny people talk about how unsafe the working conditions are. And if they do, well, if there's no union, we can fire them out well. So it's not surprising to me. In fact, it's actually kind of surprising that it's only just over 41%. Uh, We also find out that employers are spending... Uh, about $340 million each and every year on union busting. I mean, stop and think about that for a minute. $340 million a year. And why? Well, because they don't want to pay better wages, benefits, and all that stuff. And it goes back to something my grandfather always said. You know, if a rich guy is going to take a buck out of his pocket to tell you you don't need something, you better spend two to get it because they understand return on investment. That $340 million that they're investing on denying you your right to join and form unions comes back. Because what we know is union workers doing the same kind of job in the same industry, with the same education, the same occupation, make right now over 13% more in wages. That used to be 30%. But as union density has continued to dwindle and these employers keep crushing people's abilities to join in foreign unions, that number has diminished. We also know, without question, that union workers are more likely to have employer sponsored health care that they don't pay as much for or, or anything for. We also know that they have higher rates of pension plans that employers fund as well. We know that union members are more likely to have sick days. They're more likely to have paid vacations. They're more likely to have personal holidays. They're more likely to have a better life-work balance because of it. But again, (laughs) the free market has decided no one wants those things. Uh, We also know that that union workplaces, without question, are safer than non-union workplaces. And yet, we're told from the people who are spending $340 million a year to deny people access to get unions, that unions are bad. And that they're just protecting, they're just protecting their workers from the big, bad, evil unions. And look, you know, they spend enough money on, on convincing their workforce that it's bad. They spend enough time and energy uh, going after the workers through captive meetings and all kinds of just constant beratement of uh, just constant hammering people and of course, let's not forget the day you start, you get the you get the video, uh, of which we've seen. You know, all of the big retailers uh, has to have their. We don't want people between our employees and us. We we have an open door policy. Yeah, so when the door is open, we can slam it on you, slam it behind you, and and, bur- and scream and holler and carry on and harass the hell out of you. But that's another another thing. Uh, what they found in this report is, uh, and they're just boring kind of numbers. Uh, in a fifth of all union elections, uh, the employer tends to fire people uh, when you use very conservative numbers. In in reality, it's closer to a third of of people who are being fired in, in cases where someone fired during a campaign. Uh, you've got the coercion, the threats, the retaliation. That comes in about a third of the cases. Uh, and that comes in the form of, you know, these captive meetings where they pull people in with three or four supervisors and they, they grill them for an hour. Hey, because you got to sit through it because you're getting paid right uh, they also found in a third of the cases people are being illegally disciplined uh, for supporting a union uh, that happens uh, and what was weird to me and, and I guess not weird uh, is that employers that were bigger you know the, the larger the employer the more likely they were to uh, have the money to be able to harass and intimidate uh, more than half of employers that employ more than 60 employees uh, they were they were found guilty of of violating labor law and the thing is is it comes back to the money and I've often you know it's I've been a part of a number of you know contract negotiations that have gone gone bad a number of of campaigns that have gone uh, to where the employers just they're under no circumstances Uh, we don't care what we spend we're breaking the union we're not letting them in doesn't matter and you look at you know three hundred forty million dollars a year is a lot of money Uh, but obviously not that much because they're still doing it. You know, and I remember you know recently there was a, a nursing home uh, out near near Lebanon here where I live in central Pennsylvania, where they had basically you know out out you know forced the uh, the union to go on strike because they were cutting all of their health care, all of their pension, they're slashing their wages in half. I mean they they literally left them no no ability to justify signing onto a contract. And as they were on strike, they brought in uh, nurses from all over the country, these scab nurses who this is what they do. They go, they live in a hotel, they get bused in, but they make like like 100 bucks an hour. And the amount of money that this the, this nursing home company who got government money, by the way, uh, the amount of money they spent on breaking this union would have funded, you know, like five contracts down the road. Could have easily paid the health care and easily paid the wage increases that the unions wanted, but they still no, nope, our our free speech, our our power. And you know, I look at this stuff and and look, am I surprised by any of it? No, I've been talking about this stuff for years. But the right wing keeps throwing out this this frame that well, you know, it's it's the free market. We oh, we don't need those things anymore. Well, we're at a time where we absolutely do, and sadly, you know, the only publications that I see that are are putting out good content uh, in print on uh, that, that, you know, is from Teen Vogue. I mean, Teen Vogue had a really great article on unions and and workers' rights. That I'm going, this is Teen Vogue for Christ's sake. Uh, they should be talking about, you know. Any, anything else but this. And, and I guess it shows where we are at this moment. One of the. Uh, you know they went through a, co- a bunch of companies. And how much money that they've spent. Uh, like Laboratory Corporation of America. They've spent 4.3 million dollars. In union, union avoidance. Over, about a, over, a, over a four year period. Uh, over a million dollars a year. Um, But Albert Einstein, medical Center in Philadelphia, spent $1.1 million uh, as, their, as workers in that, that facility were trying to organize and, and fight for a contract. And it's, you go, you know, that one caught me because you're spending $1.1 million that should have been spent on health care, should have been spent on taking care of people. And it's just remarkable. And look, the other one that caught everybody's eye is you know, Trump International Hotel Las Vegas spent almost $600,000 in union busting uh, in 2015 and 16. But you go down the list of all of these companies that, that spend all of this money. Which is why during the Obama years, they wanted shareholders to be able to see this number. Now, Trump has gone and, and quashed that. But as a shareholder, do you not want to know that Mission Foods, which makes all the, the Mexican tortillas and all that stuff, uh, that they spent almost $3 million on union busting and that didn't go into you know better products or dividends for the shareholders? Do you think the shareholders should know that? Uh, I do. And I also think consumers need to know that. If you stop and you look at what, how far the pendulum has swung, and this is why I believe the PRO Act uh, needs to be enacted, to allow people to, to join and form unions, to allow uh, companies to, when they break the law, to be punished, thus rewarding the companies that aren't breaking the law. Sadly, the PRO Act is now stalled in the House, which is weird to me, uh, it's one of those things where you go, we know that this would make organizing faster. The right. It's the uh, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, uh, which has, oddly enough, 218 sponsors already, which is enough to pass the House. Now, understand, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate, but you need to move it along the process. And this is another one of those moments. Which side are you on? So when my Teamster buddies, who are the big Trump supporters, realize that the Republicans are not going to support... The right to organize. Maybe they wake the you know what up. Maybe they realize that the uh, the grand old party doesn't care about their behind. Maybe they wake up, or maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, I, which side are these are these people on? And like I said yesterday, during the during the Bush years, the Republicans were always whining and complaining about up or down vote, up or down vote. Well, Mitch McConnell, you got 400 pieces of legislation that the House Democrats have passed through the House. Up or down vote. Vote them all down if you want. Put them in one big giant vote and say we're voting everything the Democrats have done. We're voting it all down. I'm okay with that. But do your job. Put a vote on it. It Seems pretty simple to me. Sadly, there's nobody on the right who's really pushing for that. Because they're quite okay with a, a Senate that is doing literally nothing. Sad stuff. Let's take a quick break. Right back. Stick around.
0: Remembering that united we bargain, divided we beg. Rick Smith.
1: Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1886. That was the day that black farmers formed the Colored Farmers Alliance and Cooperative Union in Houston County, Texas. The Southern Farmers Alliance would not allow black members. So African American farmers decided to form their own organization. They elected two black men, J.J. Schuffer, as their president and H.S. Spencer as their secretary. A white man, an ex Confederate soldier, was chosen as the national spokesperson for the group. Organizers moved across the south. They organized around issues including higher crop prices, lower railroad rates, and other policies that would help the sharecroppers and small landowners. In 1890, the organization merged with the rival National Colored Alliance. It grew to a force of 1.2 million farmers. A weekly newspaper, the National Alliance, reported on the activities of the organization. One initiative was to set up exchanges at port cities such as Charleston, Mobile, and New Orleans. These exchanges allowed black farmers to purchase goods at fair prices. They also provided loans for black farmers. The Alliance advocated for black farmers to purchase land, a tough proposition in the sharecropping system of the South. In September of 1891, the Alliance called for a strike of cotton pickers. But the organization did not have the infrastructure to support such a massive effort. The strike never really got off the ground. And in Arkansas, 15 black strikers were killed. The oppressive discrimination that structured southern agriculture made it exceedingly difficult for black farmers to organize.
0: Oh, the farmer is the man, the farmer is the man Lives on credit till the fall With the interest rate so high It's a wonder he don't die And the middleman's the one that gets it Like what it you all. hear?
1: Check out more at LaborHistoryIn2.com
0: Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith.
1: So, an interesting report out by the folks over at In the Public Interest. Uh, They point out that uh, basically charter schools are like small business startups. Most of them fail. Uh, Within the first couple of years, most of them fail. uh, and, And... According to their report, more than 35% of those given federal money between uh, 2016 and 2014 have never opened or were shut down. And where'd that money go? Gone. Uh, They point out that nearly 91% of charter schools in the state of Iowa have failed. Nearly 71% in Virginia have failed. And you go, is this a good use of our money? Can we be doing something a little bit better? Or is there, are there other reasons for the charter schools? And I had someone recently say, you know, they're using charter schools to resegregate our schools, uh, to undo all of the mainstreaming, uh, to make sure that, well, we just have homogeneity in each school. And it's an interesting, an interesting point, uh, which is why I've asked Michael Tooney to come talk with us. He's a citizen activist uh, and a friend of the Badass Teachers Association. Michael, thanks for taking time. For Hello. Us. How are you, Rick? I, I'm good. So, you know, That's good. Uh, not a bit, I'm, uh, full disclosure, not a big fan of charter schools. I think it's, it's in many cases, uh, money wasted that could have been spent much better uh, with some, some oversight in the local public schools. Um, but, you know, I look at this stuff that you see coming out, and I can't help but ask the question as someone posed to me, are we resegregating our schools because of these charter schools?
3: Well, I think it's a two-part answer to that question. The schools are quickly resegregated but not exclusively because of the charter schools the linchpin for school segregation these days is residential segregation which is increasing um exponentially now in the town where i live uh, there is a charter school this charter school has been siphoning off mainly african-american students from the Steel Valley School District. Um, and they do so by offering uh, to have more culturally appropriate uh, lesson plans to have the teachers model uh, behavior because the percentage of, of African American teachers there is significantly higher than, than the Steel Valley. You, we could go on and on, but uh, I am. On some level, holding the public school system responsible uh, for you know this bleeding of families and students to propel, um, and so it's, I think it's I think it's a multi-faceted uh, problem, but I agree that we need to continue to focus on improving of the conditions in our public schools for all students. A chance to read the essay that uh, I had forwarded to you.
1: Yeah, I I looked it over, and I agreed with most of it.
3: Okay. Um, Some of it was wrong. Uh, I started early in the process. The issues around uh, segregation and Brown versus Board uh, were frankly wrong Uh, in the interest of Of of, uh, transparency Uh, I am um, not an educator I'm not a historian I'm not a demographer but I am the custodial parent of two elementary age students uh, who are in the Steel Valley School District some of the numbers that are coming out of this district and other districts countrywide are alarming alarming the Disparity between how Black students perform; these are the white students, is as high as fifty-six percentage points.
1: And why is that on
3: standard on standardized testing?
1: Is it the first test? All, is it is it the test? Is it the well, we the academic system? Where, where do you put that at?
3: Well, first of all, um, we know that standardized testing has been used for a lot of uh, disreputable. Um, uh, Public policy decisions, including involuntary sterilizations uh, and all sorts of madness, but that is a tool uh, that they use. Up to a year ago, they changed that. Uh, this past year,
0: um,
3: and so you're asking um, what what is the cause of it? Now, I have gotten involved, along with a group uh, that I am associated with, um, in participating uh, in, in an effort to improve the performance of black students in the school district. Now this performance of the steel Valley school was so poor that the secretary of education in uh, the state of Pennsylvania assigned steel Valley to a category of low performing schools, not for the overall performance, but for the performance specifically of its African American students. Now, In addition to uh, having been assigned there, the state is requiring that they develop a plan. As part of the plan, they need to engage with community stakeholders. Well, this plan uh, was under development for eight months before we in Homestead um, were even aware of it. Didn't know I've been here all my life as were three generations of my family before me. And I didn't know a soul who was impaneled along with the Steel Valley School District folks to represent the interests of Homestead. Um, And so we were about to file Freedom Information Act request to try and get some detail on this plan. But instead, we went to the Steel Valley School Board, and I spoke before the board, and I told them uh, that I had an ask and I had an offer. My ask was that we be allowed to participate in developing the plan um, that was uh, intended to improve the performance of our kids. In addition to that, um, my offer was that we would be willing to participate in deploying this plan uh, in Homestead if we had input to developing it. Obviously, we weren't going to knock on doors in our community to sell a plan that we didn't have any influence into. So that happened, and they granted us six seats uh, on the steering committee. And we have probably attended two or three meetings, and there has been some progress. Um, I am actually hopeful there have been some pretty serious developments. Now, in Homestead, uh, in the school district, uh, Homestead, which is 90% black, right. Munhall, which is a contiguous part of an uh, independent uh, of municipality that is also under the supervision of the Steel Valley. School district. They're 90% white. So we have a elementary school in Homestead that's 90% black compared to the one in Park. I mean, in, in my home, which is 90% black. On standardized testing, the kids at Baird performed 44 percentage points below those at Park. And so all of these theories abound. And the quick answer Um, that we were receiving was, you know, the situation in Homestead, the families there are subject to such crushing socioeconomic circumstances, and that those circumstances place improving kids' performance beyond our control. And if you read any of the literature, that is the standard uh, answer. As a matter of fact, in the public source article, Uh, that drew my attention to the problem. Uh, Someone, uh, a top administrator, was quoted uh, when asked directly, what are you going to do to improve the performance of these African-American students? And his response to that was, I am interested in in performing the improvement, improving the performance of all of my students. Now think about that. Um, It's, very it is, but isn't
1: that the right response? You, you, aren't you we supposed so? to be colorblind? We want everyone to do well? Okay. Am I exactly. missing something? No on that? question about
3: that. We're talking about a district that performs at average and slightly above as far as the white students are concerned. Okay. There is such a huge difference in performance.
1: Um, I got that. that. So so is it is it the socioeconomic it, condition? Because uh, I, I don't know the, I, I, the no, socioeconomic the condition of the, the white school district. And, and would just redrawing the district lines, would that change things?
3: That's one approach uh, that the people in the park in Munhall are fighting vigorously. And you can understand why. Um, they believe that their association uh, and in the act of combining the two elementary schools is going to somehow pollute. Uh, uh, of the performance levels of of their students. Uh, There was a town hall meeting uh, that was held, uh, giving credit here to the superintendent, who has committed to combine these two schools. Um, So there was a town hall meeting. There were about 300 people there. There were probably 10 or 11 people from Homestead. Most of those were from Munhall. And each of them got up. Uh, It had to pre-register to speak and said, I moved where I moved because I was interested uh, in sending my kid to Park Elementary. Further comment, "Mm," without coming out and saying it, was that I am averse uh, to combining uh, the schools that would force my children uh, to be in the company of black kids. And so it was an eye opener, uh, to be honest with you. And that is the largest part of the constituency of the school district. The Munhall population is almost, it's probably a, a triple, almost, you yeah, about 12,000 uh, people. Um, there are pretty significant demographic differences. Uh, the m- mean area income for Munhall is right around uh dollars 50, $51,000 a year. The mean area income. For homestead uh, residents, is more. It's closer to twenty six or twenty seven thousand dollars. Right, so significantly so. The, so let
1: me ask you this: So is yes. your belief that if you were to combine these schools, just by naturally having you know everybody in the same school, that the mm-hmm. achievement of the African American students would naturally rise to the level of 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 the white students? Is that the argument that it I'm would getting? Rise
3: to a level? No, I don't know what level it would rise to, and I'm basing this on reams, Rick, and reams. of of education, uh, excuse me, of research that was done in the educational field that says all students, all students uh, perform better uh, in a diverse school setting. Beyond that, um, we're talking about a district. Now, now, the Homestead kids represent 40% of the population, the student population, between the middle and high schools. There are 150 teachers in the district. There are three or four African-American teachers or administrators. And that flies in the face of a a lot more evidence that uh, having that role model uh, increases educational outcomes, not just for minority students, but for uh, students in the the majority. Imagine... So if that were if that's it. true and if no. that's
1: true that that charter school that you had spoken of that is is arguing for cultural uh, you know programs that they University. should be doing so much better than than the uh, Homestead Public uh, the Homestead that's elementary right. school uh, am I am I getting that right then
3: uh, you're getting it right in the assumption but you're wrong in the result
1: No cuz I look all. I, 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 yeah, I, wa- I, I want to be helpful I want to mm-hmm. I want to know how this is going to going to work cuz I'm told you know that you as you've said that, uh, you, you've got the, the cultural part of this, and and that should huge. naturally help. No,
3: shoot, huge, huge. But what you're overlooking is that the the elementary school and all of the schools, the, the charter schools in Homestead, have siphoned off a good percentage of the black students. We're hemorrhaging, and by we I mean the the, the school district, the Steel Valley School District, with which I, with whom I identify, right. um, that we are hemorrhaging students. And you know the funding formula. So we're sending $6,000 or so a student, and that amount is expected to top around $6 million. Okay? Uh, that's being sent to propel. And the interesting point is something that you alluded to. Their performance, and we're going to call this the racial achievement gap, and that's the disparity between whites and blacks. Their uh, performance as it relates to, as it compared to Barrett Elementary, is actually lower. But let me tell you what they offer. What they offer is they go into these living rooms and they say, you're part of a school district um, that uh, where you represent 40% of the student population, and yet there are two or three teachers who look like you. Right. And so you can draw a negative inference just from that fact, that they're not interested in in, in welcoming you and addressing the needs that you might have. And beyond that, they'll go in and they'll say, um, African-American studies. All right, In my belief, when it's done correctly, African-American studies are history studies or American history. I'm not talking about do you think it's an esoteric as Kwanzaa celebration. I'm not talking about that.
1: No, I, I get um, you. and I, I, I,
3: right. I agree with you. When I asked you. about I... that, there was zero. And, oh, until... Uh, So there are two parts to this piece. There is what I believe to be structural inequity, all right, that's institutional.
1: Right, that's uh, that that you don't have enough enough African-American teachers or or minority teachers in the school district as a whole. I get that. They don't
3: even know how to communicate uh, in a lot of cases. And that's not to despair. I have met so many committed teachers and administrators, which is why I say that's my school district. Uh, I just think... They don't have uh, the the right tools to intervene. Now, as I said, two different things. Let's deal with uh, the structural inequity. Go out and hire some teachers of color. Um, Do you know what I mean? Start teaching and reaching out to African-American students and families um, with some celebration, other than that once-a-year celebration, Black History Month, uh, that highlights achievement. In the black community, all right. That's not just black American history; that's American history. Sure,
1: no, I'm none with of that other is other being so, done. So the other part, and you of can't
3: it. tell me that that happened. That extreme um, a disparity happens by accident, Rick. I want to believe that it did, that it wasn't intentional, but there was such a long history of suspicion and mistrust between my town and Munhall. And by extension, to school district, my father, who worked in the steel mill, uh, part of which was in Munhall, had to traverse a portion of Munhall to get home. They were given 15 minutes after the end of shift to traverse that part of Munhall. Uh, again, we're talking about a community that is 90 um, percent
1: white. Yeah, you know, Pittsburgh was no uh, different than Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland, so I, I, okay. I, I identify with a lot of what you're saying. So sure. you know, outside of the structural parts, and if we could solve that, and, and hopefully right. there's some movement towards that. Now the, isn't the socioeconomic part of it just as big? It's
3: huge. Rich, Rick, it's huge. It's huge. So now, let's think about that. Let's talk about that for a moment. So let's assume that the board um, has stepped out, um, and not just in a symbolic way, but let's say they correct some of what I consider to be uh, structural inequity. Uh, the, the the substance of that and the result of that is important, but the but the uh, the implication for homestead families is that maybe they are interested. Now beyond that, there cannot be a improvement, an overall improvement, without a really aggressive community participation piece. A lot of these families, a lot of our families, um, have had. Experiences with the school districts themselves. They don't know how to interact with the district on behalf of their child. They are suspicious and they are mistrustful. We are suspicious and we are mistrustful, and there has been a generational legacy of that. And so, as I mentioned to you earlier, the state is requiring some movement there. And my point to the school board was instead of doing things just to check the boxes, why don't we try to reimagine this generational relationship um, that has existed between our towns? The two elementary schools are relics from that period you know they they they, they, they reinforce the racial isolation and separation between the two boroughs uh, and so by combining them um, not only do we expect that it will increase uh, educational outcomes, but it will also prepare our kids to, and the kids from home, to live in this ever-increasingly diverse multicultural world. For some reason, districts don't incorporate that as part of their primary mission. And I think to maintain isolation and separation is almost malpractice because that's not the world that these kids need to be prepared to live in. Right. They're not going to live in. I just read some numbers Rick. Uh, that say the population of the United States uh, grows by 8,000 uh, per day. And that's not from illegal immigration. That's from legal immigration and the differential and, and birth rates.
1: We're having more kids.
3: Exactly. But... 90 percent, nine zero, and I've checked it across three different sources, 90 percent of that number are people of color. Drop your mind around that for a minute. We're not going to be able to build a wall high enough to allow families to continue to separate on both sides you know, of the racial divide.
1: No, it's, it's an excellent separate. point.
3: They need to learn to, to get along. No, I'm right they there need with to you. They so, to function in that kind of world. I'm sorry. No, they, you're they, absolutely
1: right, and I agree with you. So in about a minute, you know, what, what, what's a concrete thing that we can do uh, tomorrow to, to get moving towards this place that you want us to, to head towards?
3: Eliminate all of the, eliminate the structural barriers um, that are relics of the past, and we won't call them racist, because I consider myself now uh, to be involved in in cooperatively working with the school district to try and perform. So I can put myself on the inside. Um, so what we need to do is get rid of that. That's the easy part. Let's get rid of that. And then, and I'm not going to say anything as trite as uh, saying that it takes a community, you know, well, a village to raise a kid. But my, my image of the community engagement piece, let's say... Uh, i conduct conducted fifth grade tutoring classes, math tutoring classes in my living room on a pretty regular basis. I have gotten some buy-in from the major institutions in our town, which have always been our churches. So let's assume that we can set up, uh, for example, uh, some tutoring class in the basement of one of our churches. That the church driver with the logo church van will go and pick these students up, bring them. Allow them uh, to benefit from this tutoring. Feed them. Take them home. And then when you got home, if you saw that mom or dad was in need you know, of some kind of social services, DNA services, uh, job uh, support services, then let's align the resources that we already have established and mined for to those people. Now, that's us.
1: You yeah, that, that that sounds like Don't a great you. idea and, and something we should most certainly be working towards. Uh, and, Michael, I, I I hope we can get there. And, and with, with folks as impassioned as you, maybe we will. I appreciate the time, though. Uh, good stuff, though. I appreciate
3: it. I appreciate that. I good appreciate stuff. your attention to the
1: matter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael Tooney, thanks so much. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can email me, rick at showcom Quick break. Right back. Mm-hmm.
0: Saving work in America, one show at a time. The Rick Smith Show.
4: Hello, I'm David Philman, Executive Director of AFSME Council 13 the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. A union of over 1.4 million strong and growing, AFSCME is gaining improvements in the workplace all across America. And right here in the Commonwealth, more than 95,000 AFSCME members make Pennsylvania happen. Highways, libraries, hospitals, parks, offices, prisons, classrooms, museums, courtrooms. You'll find AFSCME members that work in all these places and many more.
5: I make Pennsylvania happen every day.
4: I make Pennsylvania happen every day. Today's AFSCME members take on public service jobs as diverse as they are, not for the recognition, but for a better Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit our website at afscme13.org. Labor is changing, so is your labor union. We are AFSCME.
0: Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith.
1: So leave it to Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, <laughs> to, who made really, I think, one of the most bizarre comparisons during today's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing that I've heard in a long time. Uh, now, look, I've never done any illegal drugs, uh, you know, so my point of reference here is going to be very limited but comparing reading the IG's report to dropping acid is, is a little bit, I think, a little weird and maybe a bit too far. And honestly, if it is, um, maybe, and I'm going to take his word for it, um, maybe I didn't miss anything after all. I mean, just, but again, this guy's always saying some of the most bizarre stuff. So maybe, maybe, maybe too much acid. Just kind of a thought. I'm here to share some thoughts on the day's uh, hearings. Uh, the IG report and the all of the all of the shenanigans and goings on, I've asked James Lamond to come talk with us. He's the managing director of the Moscow Project. He's also a senior policy advisor at the Center for American Progress. James, thanks for taking time for us.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So you've read the report, right? Uh, I have. I have. Uh, have you ever dropped acid?
6: <laughs> that I have not done, no. Because
1: <laughs> I'm trying to find somebody who can give me a comparison because, you know, I, I've, I've had friends who have done it. Uh, They tell me, you know, watch Fantasia. It's wonderful. uh, But I don't know about reading a report. I'm just not getting the reference.
6: I guess the Venn diagram of people who have read the DOJ IG report and people who have dropped acid is probably relatively small in the (laughs) middle there.
1: Uh, Quite possibly. Or he just did it wrong. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But here's the thing. I mean, you might as well, you know, hearing both hearing the Republicans uh, tell us what they think is in it they might as well have dropped acid because what i'm hearing from them isn't really close to what i'm i'm seeing in the report
6: definitely so it's, it's almost as if we've read two different reports i i read the report and and read the report and saw that the fbi actually had an abundance an overabundance of caution when dealing with uh the, the investigation to the point that it actually frankly maybe didn't go as far as it should have in, 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 in the investigation. So, you know, there were, for example, you know, the big thing that stands out to me is that there was not a, a foreign intelligence uh, surveillance uh, warrant, uh, warrant opened up on Paul Manafort or Mike Flynn, despite the fact that they had had a series of contacts with Russian intelligence officers.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would because I said this from the very beginning, you know at the you know we were hearing all these reports of of all of these contacts and all of this stuff, you know, Eric Prince in the Seychelles and, and Manafort you know through all all over Ukraine and Carter Page and Roger Stone and you know all of these players who have all of these Russian contacts, and I'm going, if the FBI didn't open an investigation, if the FBI wasn't paying attention, they're derelict in their duties and maybe we need to look at why they didn't and what they're doing. And now we find out that they they maybe they didn't do it perfectly by the book. And I hate defending the FBI, but at least they they were they were on it a little bit.
6: Definitely, I mean, the, the, there were so my, my organization has actually uh, been able to uh, do an independent analysis where we've documented every known contact between a, a Trump campaign associate and a and someone affiliated with the, the Kremlin, and we've and that during the Trump campaign and transition period. There were 272 contacts during that period. That's a couple a day. That is not, that is not a, a casual, you know, this is not a, a uh, bumping into somebody at a cocktail party and then, that, and, then, and then that is listed as a sort of illicit meeting. No, th- these are, these are, this was a concerted, ongoing conversation that was happening during this entire period.
1: So you could, you could argue coordination and maybe collusion. Just a thought.
6: Just to throw out a couple of words you might want to uh, apply to it, right? I mean, I mean, and you know, some of these contacts. This is literally uh, uh, exchanging proprietary polling data that the Trump campaign had, right? This is this is in the Miller report that Paul Manafort p- passed that along to Konstantin Kalimnik. Now Konstantin Kalimnik is somebody that the FBI has listed and, and named as somebody who has Russian intelligence uh, connections. He went through the GRU's training school that that's the military intelligence unit in russia so this is literally passing along very valuable very classified not classified, very very expensive um and very, and very highly highly valued information onto a foreign uh intelligence operative
1: well, let me dig into that for a second because you know why would that be important to the russians why having that kind of detailed polling why would that be important to them
6: well we, well, we know what Russia did in the campaign, right? But there are two main lines of attack that went that, that directly targeted the 2016 election. One was the the hack and release through the WikiLeaks site of the DNC and John Podesta emails. The other was this, a massive disinformation campaign. And so, when you have a when you have a a, a, mis- a mis- and disinformation campaign, part of what you do is you target individuals and voters around around the country. And so for you know, for example, the, the polling data might have shown where to target that information.
1: Yeah, so you're basically what? narrowing your message and basically working in coordination because the campaign's going to do that, too. The campaign's going to put their resources in the places that are movable. And, and I would argue that, you know, by giving the Russians basically your targeting area, you could work in, in you're using another C word, coordination or collusion, with the two of them, to target those areas, that seems highly probable, given the fact that, as you pointed out, uh, you know, what, 272 contacts seems like a bit much. If you looked at, I guess the other question is, is this unprecedented in political history? Did John McCain uh, reach out to a foreign government? Did Mitt Romney reach out to a foreign government? Did, did Hillary Clinton or Obama do it?
6: This I want to be very crystal clear on. There is zero parallel in American history. The two examples that kind of can even uh, be considered in the same ballpark are uh that the Soviets reached out to Adley Stevenson in the in the in uh the nineteen uh uh fifty six election. And that was uh and and he turned him down flat out. And then apparently the uh the Nazi party tried to recruit a uh a friendly kind of pro uh you know, anti Semitic, uh pro German uh, candidate to try to funnel money to him to challenge FDR, and again, turn down. This is not how we do things in America. This is not the norm. We like, we, we reject foreign interference. This is we are a democracy, not and not not something to be, not 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 a playing field to be uh, of geopolitics to be manipulated.
1: Yeah, that was so 2015. <laughs> I mean, this is what it seems to me because you know I don't know if you saw this this Reagan. And look, I, I hate citing anything with Ronald Reagan's name to it. Uh, but the, this, this Reagan defense survey that just came out uh, that said, you know, almost half of military families now view Russia as an ally, which is kind of scary on, on the face that ha- almost half of military families view Russia, who, uh, according to the military, is still one of our top two adversaries. Uh, but you know, the people on the ground view him as an ally. That that seems a bit, well, like the Russian propaganda has been working.
6: No, I, absolutely. And, and the scariest part, I mean, like, you know, look, following the class of the Soviet Union, you know, Russia did make an attempt towards democracy, right? I mean, the Yeltsin years were, 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 you know, were, it was tumultuous, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was. There were, there were, there was a lot. There were a lot of bad things happened, but the the actual general effort was to move and transition towards a democracy, move into the community of nations, have good relations with the West, right? And that was the. It 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 didn't work, right? And then along comes Putin, who's been now been in power as the head of state. Um, either president, or prime minister. In a few days, it'll be uh, 20 years exactly. And what we've seen is an, an increasingly authoritarian uh, uh, government at home, and an increasingly aggressive gov- uh, government abroad. And that includes in the, the the land grab in Ukraine, where which uh, that represents the, the the most blatant land grab in Europe since World War II. Yeah,
1: uh, but again, that was according to my Trump friends. That was the, the Ukraine's fault. And it's, it's weird how we it, it, I mean, do you find it as bizarre as I do that we kind of live in these alternative universes? Because, look, you, you look at the Mueller report and you you ask a Trump supporter and it, the Mueller report completely exonerated Trump. You ask, you know, someone like me who actually read it and you go, no, it didn't exonerate him. There are a bunch of things in there uh, that are wrong, a uh, bunch of things that he did that I think are, are worthy of impeachment uh, you look at this ukraine thing i've got people telling me that no it wasn't the russians who who interfered in our election it was actually those people in ukraine D- is it is it as bizarre to you as it is to me that we seem to live in these alternative reality worlds where you can look at this IEG report and and again you know blame the fbi was targeting you know donald trump and the, the fbi hated donald trump I mean, it's it's just weird to me
6: it's, it's it's almost as if we live in in a world where there's essentially like parallel information silos and there are people who can go throughout their entire day. You can listen to, you know, Rush Limbaugh in the morning, and uh, you can then go on to watch Fox News throughout the day, and that's where you get your news. And you come away if, if you're not reading the primary sources, which I, frankly I, I I don't blame. This is my job, so I, yes, I'm going to read the 448 pages of the Miller report. But most people, most people, that's not their job. They don't have time for it, right. which that's understandable. So it's the responsibility of these news organizations, but when you have the, when you have this, this sort of uh, um, kind of broken information systems that that have come to their conclusions before seeing the facts, then that is, that is, that is essentially a violation of the public trust in a way. And it's, I I don't frankly know what the solution is, but it is it does seem concerning that that we have we have and the Mueller report is the is the most damning document, I've written about an American president in U.S. history. And half the country doesn't know that.
1: No, because all they heard Trump say was no obstruction, no, no collusion, total exoneration. Absolutely. And I fear this is what this IG report is, is turning into the same. It's the same playbook. And, you know, Trump has such a loud microphone. Uh, and, and our media structure, you know, they have, you know still, you know, after these years, they're still just stenographers as opposed to actually doing investigative work. Are, are just, you know are just, just echoing that, in my view.
6: Yeah, and it's 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 really. Uh, I mean, it's like there are kind of just separate conversations, and the facts matter in one conversation, and they don't matter in the other.
1: Yeah, I mean, because I look at this IG report, which is is pretty simple to me. It boils down to yes, the FBI made. A bunch of mistakes there are there a bunch of errors a bunch of things that i think have to be addressed and i'm not defending them in any way shape or form but they it also did find that there was reason there was cause uh we we needed to investigate this campaign um and and they did so without political bias i think that's to me the more important part of this
6: it, it, absolutely and it's, it's actually funny that the uh, i mean funny is the wrong word but Uh, that the FBI actually delegated more people to work on the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server uh, than than it did investigate whether one of the candidates was actually an asset of a hostile foreign government. And that was a gazing attack on our democracy.
1: Yeah. And, and it's another one of those moments where, you know, I don't know if it was just because she was a woman or or as a Democrat or whatever, but it's one of those moments where they 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 attack the victim. She's the one, you know, who in a lot of cases the the assaults were against. I mean, the Russians were targeting her, the Trump campaign, and now the FBI is piling on. And we don't hear much about that because, you know, this this. This report is one of the you know one of the first official places that I've seen where they said no. They're outside of you know the the couple of email or text people that you know Stroika and Page and those people. Uh, outside of them, there are a bunch of FBI agents texting and doing the same thing about Hillary that we never hear those.
6: Right. Exactly. And and in fact, we actually uh, know that they that the. Um now, while the FBI kept the Russia investigation, you know, quiet for for months and really kind of actively shot down reports that that the that the investigation even existed, at the same time the FBI was constantly leaking about the about the Clinton email investigation, to the point where, uh, where where FBI director at the time James Comey had to discuss it twice publicly, and including shortly before the election, which by most uh, uh, analyses had a significant impact on the election, so yeah. it's it, it, yeah like you said right it's 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 kind of uh, uh, blaming the victim in a way
1: yeah I mean it's, it's just but here's the thing, and again you, you Trump's been running around screaming, you know they've targeting me, and they're you know trying to you know overthrow me, and they're trying to do this stuff. well, the facts again, I still think facts matter. Uh, the FBI, I would argue, Comey and the FBI did more to, to thwart Hillary Clinton's victory than I think the Russians may have done by by two weeks before a campaign. Saying, well, you know, we're not going to convict her, but uh, that's unprecedented as well.
6: In fact, it, I mean, it arguably violates the Department of Justice uh, policy of, of not making politically sensitive announcements ahead of elections.
1: Yeah. But you know what's interesting to me again? You know, all of these reports seem to all road, all roads seem to lead back to Rudy Giuliani. Now, how is how is it possible that Rudy seems to be the the, the Forrest Gump of all of this stuff?
6: Well, well, I mean, yeah, I mean the the leaks again from the Department of Justice, you know, from the New York Field Office, um, for the FBI. Rudy Giuliani has a lot of connections there. He has ties going back. You know, he was before he was mayor. He was the. Um, U.S. Attorney at the Southern District of New York, and has a lot of long-standing connections in that office. It, you know, the FBI is, you know, a traditional conservative, small C conservative. No, not, not, It is a political. I'm saying it's It's a small C conservative um, organization. So, and yeah, he he maintained those ties to the point where uh, he was even bragging about it on like Fox News at the, uh, in 2016. There, are, there are clips you can go look it up, up on uh, YouTube. Him literally is sitting there bragging about. Uh, having having connections and having information that's going to be coming out soon, yeah. and so yeah, it's it's it, it all draws, leads, leads back to Rudy Giuliani eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is you know you know watching you know watching Trump and watching the whole campaign, you know, and thinking about it as a reality TV show. Uh, you, you think back to the emails. Hey, Russia, if you're listening, send me. You know, there, there was there's a lot of Giuliani on there saying, hey, we got all this. They, they seem to tease a lot of this stuff out, kind of hype it out, because there's part of me that goes they know what's coming. They're part of what's coming and they're part of the reason that, that this all this stuff happens, because, you know, it just seems it seems too convenient. Maybe once you get away with it, but I'm sorry, way too many convenient moments for me.
6: Right, so the, the, way, the way I'm thinking of it is with this, you know, we, this week we had um, the IT report come out, which showed that Trump could have been caught red-handed. And then we had the, uh, the impeachment articles introduced, which was what happened when Trump was caught red-handed. Right, this is what happened. He, he was caught red-handed on Ukraine. And um, and, and I think that the, the, the IT report demonstrates why that did not happen uh, in
3: 2016.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of these weird moments where, again, I'm, I'm hoping that there's a moment where we collectively gain our sanity and, and wake up from this, whatever this is. Uh, but I watched the rally last night from here in Hershey, down the road in Hershey. And I'll tell you, I've, I've never been more freaked out than watching Trump rallies, uh, you know, and the kind of just the rage and the uh, it, it's 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 bizarre to me. And I guess that's the only word I can come up with with my limited vocabulary. Is just it's really scary and bizarre.
6: No, I mean you, you know, as somebody who's like studied history and and look at this in other countries, and it's 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 almost it's it's this kind of clinical uh, uh, approach that you take when you're studying kind of state case studies abroad, but to see it happen in your own country, in your own, you know, with with your own relatives and friends who are getting behind it and it you you understand the talk to people you've known your whole life who will explain things away it's really kind of incredible and it's it's i mean you you really it gives you it, it really shines a light on how, on kind of uh how these things can happen in other countries but also how, you know what can happen here and and the importance of I mean a institutions right this is this is why we are we are a nation of laws, and this is why right this is exactly what the framers and the founders had in mind when they were building the country was that they were feared a a demagogue who could come and and rally people and this is exactly the fear that they had this is why we are this is why our our republic servants swear an oath to the constitution right not, not to any individual, not to a king, not to a president It's, it's the paper that matters, it's the rule of law. And and you know what scares me is that I think a, a lot of the country is, is is doesn't understand that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you go back to you know you learn in history about you know the rise of fascism in Europe and you know you know the rise of the Nazis and I and I hate you know I hate bringing that up but you, you ask you know how could you possibly allow that to happen? Uh, I think we're living through kind of one of those moments, that, you know, you, you learn about the Civil War and you know, how did we become so torn apart that we were literally willing to kill each other? And, and look, I look at that rally, I look at those rallies and I go, you know, I, it's a powder keg and this guy just keeps stoking the fire.
6: Yep, that that's that's I think bizarre and frightening are are the two the only, to the only words I can really capture it. you're yeah.
1: right. That's uh, scary stuff. Uh, James, I appreciate the time. Uh, the pro- the, wor- the work that you're doing. Uh, the the Moscow Project. Uh, where do people go? What do they do? You know, what are you hoping to get out of it?
6: So, uh, if, if you know, I would encourage people to to go to our website, the Moscow Project. which is a uh, uh, just has a series of tools and and. Um, information that folks want to read up on either the, the Russian investigation on foreign inter- interference more broadly or on uh, the impeachment process and uh, what's going on with, uh, on with the Ukraine scandal that's a it's a it's a really valuable resource our team here has poured um, lots of hours and energy into it so I'd encourage folks I'd also uh, highlight our Twitter account which is um, Moscow underscore project um, and it's it's for all for you know follow us for hearings follow us for general news uh, and uh just to stay up to date with all the twists and turns of, of this investigation
1: good stuff uh, it's where the facts are james i appreciate the time man thank you good stuff james lamond uh, managing director there at the moscow project make sure you check out their website uh mosca the org. quick break right back stick around Listen to the Rick Smith show. Working people. Come
0: Radio of for and by. We the working people. The Rick Smith show.
5: bushfires burning north of Sydney have joined create what's been dubbed a mega blaze. New heat wave exacerbates Australia's bushfires, now raging out of control. The world's oceans are struggling to breathe. Oceans losing oxygen thanks to man-made global warming, plus... We would love some action from, from the people in power. Young activists pressure UN Climate Summit to get moving. All of
4: that pressure and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
5: I'm Desi Doyen.
4: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news Politics, analysis, and snarky comment. People are flushing toilets ten times, fifteen times, as opposed to once. No, no, they're not. You're just making that up. This is your Green News Report. You and your toilet must really be full of shit. Okay, Desi Doyen. What the hell is Donald Trump talking about with the flushing the toilets 10, 15 times? Oh,
5: Trump is now going after water efficiency rules that save consumers money. Trump falsely claimed last week that he ordered a federal review of water efficiency standards for bathroom fixtures. But in reality, it was the Republican-controlled Congress back in 2018 that mandated that the EPA review all regulations implemented by the Obama administration prior to 2012.
4: So this was meant to save water, these low flow toilets, and now he's claiming it's using up more water.
5: And he's wrong about that. What
4: a surprise.
5: EPA data says that updated water efficiency standards actually save the average family nearly $400 in water costs every single year.
4: Oh, well, we need to stop that right away.
5: In an eastern Australia, more than 100 out-of-control fires continue to rage amid a prolonged severe drought and yet another heat wave. Air quality has reached hazardous levels in Sydney, where over the weekend, three major fires joined together to create a mega blaze stretching more than 37 square miles mm. the heavy smoke closed ferry service in sydney harbor and is so bad it even set off smoke alarms at the university of new south wales rural fire commissioner shane fitzsimmons warned residents that the fire situation is going to get worse before it gets better
6: We've got a significant number of fires, uh, which are which are joining together, and will continue likely to join together over the coming days and weeks, uh, given the given the access, the terrain, uh, and the volatility of fire behaviour, and how quickly uh, these fires are spreading.
4: I'll tell you what: for the last, I don't know, three, four, five years, every December it seems like we get this same story out of Australia.
5: Yep, and worse, the smoke and soot from Australia's fires are turning New Zealand's glaciers pink, 1,200 miles away.
4: Of course, that deadly volcano in New Zealand isn't doing much either for soot around that country.
5: It certainly isn't. In California, bankrupt utility Pacific Gas and Electric has agreed to pay $13.5 billion to settle claims arising from the deadly 2017 Wine Country fires and the 2018 Camp Fire that killed 85 people in the town of Paradise.
4: Did you say 13 13- Billion?
5: Yes. PG&E admits those fires were caused by its failure to maintain its equipment. If approved, that $13 billion settlement with victims would be in addition to a previous $1 billion settlement with cities and an additional $11 billion settlement with insurance carriers. That
4: company is already in bankruptcy. Now
5: is the time for California to buy it up, I say. Meanwhile, a new study warns that oxygen levels are falling in the world's oceans. Warmer seawater holds less oxygen, and the researchers calculated that 50% of the oxygen loss in the upper part of the ocean since 1950 is a result of man-made global warming. The rest is caused by nutrient runoff from agriculture, And industry. The loss of oxygen has a wide range of consequences for marine biodiversity and it affects the everyday functions of ocean ecosystems.
4: Which means that fish and other wildlife in the oceans die for lack of oxygen.
5: Right. In Madrid, Spain, Inside this year's annual United Nations Climate Summit to negotiate the Paris Climate Agreement, world governments are deadlocked on a number of measures, including an attempt to create a global carbon pricing mechanism. Outside the conference, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets, demanding that negotiators do more in a Friday school strike for climate led by teen climate activist Greta Thunberg. In a press conference, Thunberg and the other youth climate leaders excoriated world leaders for not moving fast enough even as climate scientists' warnings become increasingly dire. The climate crisis is still being ignored by those in power, and we cannot go on like this. It is not a sustainable solution that children skip school. We cannot go on like that. We don't want to continue, so we would love some action
0: from from the people in power.
4: Yeah, but we need you to continue, Greta. You and all of the thousands of students out there, please keep up the pressure. No pressure, but you're our only hope. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyon. And this has been your Green News Report.
0: To the Rick Smith Show now. Here is Rick Smith.
1: So you know, look, uh, you know, it, it is. It's one of those alternative reality moments where you know you look at all of this stuff and everyone's got their uh, you know their, their their colored glasses on without really looking at the report and what's in it. And look, am I comfortable with with the FBI cutting corners? Am I comfortable with them? You know, and and this is where look, Lindsey Graham was right. I you know on a certain level there are are things that went on that should not have. I, I'm, I'm right there. We should be holding our FBI, our law enforcement, to much higher standards across the board. You give them power. You give them enormous power. We should be holding them to a higher standard. And and look, maybe, maybe Lindsey knows more than I do about the FBI. It's not normal to have these things. Maybe it's not normal to have these things happen. But you know what's really not normal? To have a president... <laughs> Who on the day? I mean, this is the weird thing. You, you've got a Russian. <laughs> I don't know if it was a thumb in the eye to have uh, Lavrov in the office, in the Oval Office. I, you know, I, it's just one of those things where it's so blatant. And and maybe this is you know maybe this is part of it. You know, I've you know I've had friends who were who were good thieves, and they said you know the, the part of, of the way you get away with things is you look like you belong. You, know, you look like yeah you know, I own I own the place and this is this is the kind of thing that you know I stop and I think back of you know the the Trump Trump is you know it, it's all normal it was a perfect phone call according to him and again I, it begs the question what what does the word perfect mean in his mind because when I look at the transcript now it's not an, a verbatim word for word account I think that would be much more damning than what was actually written when I read that I it's an indictment. Yes, you did what what you're being you're you did what you're being accused of doing. You strong armed a foreign leader. Uh, now to him, maybe that's perfect. Maybe that, that is exactly what he wanted to do, and he did it, and and that's perfect to him. But to for, to have all these people who who look at him and you know wow, well, no, he's he, you know, he he never did anything wrong. For instance, I had a guy last night kind of give me a jab about the big rally that was in Hershey. I think there were like twelve thousand people that showed up to the Giant Center. He was going on about you know, so what would you think of the rally? And he's kind of throwing some shots at me about you know how you know Trump's you know you know doing the doing the job. And I'm going, you know, you know my my problem is is Trump is probably you know outside of the corruption and the the kleptocracy and outside of all of the you know the you know the the Russian stuff and you know all the outside of all of that, which you know I believe is treasonous. Now, outside of all that it's it's the ignorance the fact that he is the epitome of the ugly american he is every stereotype that has ever been waged against an american citizen by foreigners ever all wrapped up in one horrible ball and there he is front and center uh the ugly american and ignorant as can be and i said to him i go you know just one example of, of, of potentially numerous. It was the 100, 100, and I guess I'm stuck on this one because, you know, there, there are lies that you can go, okay, well, there's, there's, there's wa- different ways to interpret different things. You look at the IG's report and you pick out the little pieces you, you want. You look at the Bible, you pick out little pieces that fit your ideology. I get that. Completely get it. Uh, that you're going to use whatever you're going to have in front of you as a way to, to, to shape your, your story. But it was the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, and he's going on, on this spiel about uh, how he's the only one who could get this event done. He doesn't know why anyone else didn't do it before. And, you know, th- basically, thank me for doing this. Uh, thank me for changing the time continuum uh, to bring this 100th anniversary to this very moment. Uh, with And, and it's, it's one of these things where you go, wait a second, you're taking credit for the passage of time? And you're blaming others because they couldn't speed time up? I'm confused. And and you look at the faces of the people around him and they're all like, I don't know how to act, but I'll just golf clap. I mean, it was Really, this twisted, bizarre moment, to where you go, "This is the kind of president we have who doesn't even understand linear time, doesn't understand that tw- there are 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, and you need 100 years to have a 100-year celebration." Oh my goodness! And this guy's like, "Yeah, well, so what?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "We've given the dumb kid the po- we've given the dumb kid the nuclear codes." And the dumb kid who thinks he's the smartest kid in the room. That's why I'm I'm so concerned for, for our country. That's why I'm so concerned for my, my kid's future. Because, sadly, and this is one of those things, sadly, or amazingly, we're divided right down the middle. I mean, you put a Trump supporter... And and anybody else in a room, <laughs> and you say the sky is blue, the Trump supporters gonna say no, it's orange. When everybody else is going, no, it's blue. But then again, all they do is all they see is orange. Because we have the orange menace. I, and like I said earlier, I hope we have a collective moment where collectively we kind of shake awake, uh, where maybe 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 we wake up from this this nightmare. And we snap to and realize that what what these people are doing—Billy Barr, Rudy Giuliani, Trump, the rest of them—is really tearing this nation apart at its foundation. That's what they're really doing. And we're living—you know—again, I you know, I think back to those you know those, those images of of uh, the Germans, you know, doing the the high Hitlers. I can see that today. Never thought I'd say that. Scary stuff. Love to hear your thoughts. You can email me, rick at show.com. If you missed any of today's program, show.com is where you go to get the podcast. You can get the app on the smartphone, take the program on the go, wherever you're going. As always, like I said, you can email me, rick at showcom Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time.
0: You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick.